must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. It's about being in teams, about leading teams, and generally making the most out of your team. Uh, I am Mark Johnson. I'm a performance maker and a performance teacher, and I am joined uh, gloriously, as always, by Sean Gallagher, sports coach extraordinaire. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? Hello. What an introduction. Um, I am well, thank you, Mark. How are you? Uh, super. I have been thoroughly busy, but I don't know about you. Uh, this week, having young people back in the building and starting some of my teaching again, I am massively energised by it. Yeah, it's great to actually see uh, young people again. It's it's the main reason why. We work in education, it's to work with young people. Um, And so it's been great to see some of them. We do have some quarantining because of the school and it is a a boarding school, Um, but we are looking forward to seeing those guys. Um, But yeah, as you said, it's just great to be around students um, and working with them. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna be getting into some sports with them come next week, uh, which will be great. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, a lot of this week for me in my uh, subject lessons in my drama lessons, uh, we build a lot of kind of group dynamic. We spend a lot of time kind of working out how we work together, uh, finding ways to trust each other. You as a personal tutor, you have a group, but as I understand it, that group, some of them are in the room. Some of them are like you were saying in quarantine. So they're online. How is that? How, how are you managing that same thing. Are you trying to build a group dynamic at the moment or are you holding off? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've done some kind of standard icebreakers and things like that and games to kind of draw out a little bit of their personalities. Mm. Uh, But it is quite a challenge because you've got to almost focus your attention on the, some of the students that are in the room and some of the students that are online. And then you've almost got to try and get them to interact with each other. But what's been really great is, you know, even getting them to put their cameras on um, has been a bit of a game changer. Seeing faces, um, you know, teenagers, they don't really want to be online and having their face put out there to students who they've never met before. And it's kind of their first impression. Now, of you them. said that you said that during the during this week. And I was quite surprised because of this assumption that like, oh, teenagers, they live their lives online. But you you made a really interesting point about how it's actually quite outside of their control that the, the composition, the filtering, the posing makes, makes their online life quite, quite uh, mediated or curated by them. And actually they, they might be embarrassed or feel like they can't control their, their appearance or whatever on a video call. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, everyone in lockdown was, you know, zooming left, right and center and you can make your background look good and you can try and make yourself look as great as possible. But just in general, you know, looking at someone through a screen on, on a, on a video call, probably you don't look your best self. Um, you know, I know I certainly don't anyway. So, you know, when people see me in real life compared to a Zoom call, they're blown away. I am joking. <laughs> um, but uh, but, in all, but in all seriousness, um, yeah, they, they are having to put more of their authentic self out there across that screen. And if you're a 15-year-old teenager 
having to see other people, you know, who are going to be your, your classmates via a, you know, like a Teams meeting. That is a bit of a tricky thing to navigate. Yeah, it's a, it's a crucial time for that, uh, you know, some of the kind of business cliches about, you know, you only, there's no second chance to make a first impression. Exactly. And, and everyone is already nervous and everyone is already kind of, for some of them recognizing that this is an opportunity to really define who they are for a new group of people, uh, maybe even change their identity a little bit, uh, assume a role that, that they didn't get to play in their last, in their last school. Definitely. Yeah. But you, even from a more like logistical point of view of, you know, if you don't have your camera on, you can sit there in your kind of pajamas and you know, right. your, your hair right. not done. And so, so for them to, you know, feel as though they, are having to be online sort of prepared and 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 ready to kind of go um, is, is different for them. But no, we've got some cameras on, which is great. Um, there's been some interaction and they've been really good at communicating, to be fair, that the students online. Um, so I'm hoping after a couple of weeks of them getting out of quarantine, things will look a lot normaler. Uh, <laughs> normal is not a word. Things will look more normal. Um, and I look forward to that time. So on the subject of communication, you, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about something you raised today. Um, and this was a, a post by a sports psychologist, um, about how a team member was communicating with their coach. Yeah. So, you know, for those kind of sports people out there, you probably are aware that, um, Amazon have done another, another series of all or nothing. Uh, Mark is very familiar with the yeah, NFL version it's, it's of that. A, it's a great series, which is like behind the scenes for a season of sport with a particular, they focus on a particular team each time they do it. Exactly. So the NFL started it off, um, I believe, and now sort of Premier League teams have started to get on board. So we had Manchester City last year, uh, and then this year we've had uh, Spurs, uh, Tottenham Hotspur. So the season started off with Pochettino and uh, then halfway through kind of, or early on in the season, um, Jose Mourinho took over, which many of you probably are aware of. Um, so it's following those guys. And there was just a scene in it that Dan Abrahams, who's the sports psychologist, uh, he posted on his LinkedIn. And it was just really interesting to see the dynamic between, you know, a player who wasn't happy with not getting, you know, first team action and how he went about communicating that to his coach also his boss. Mm. Now, this is a player that has been at the club for a very long time and has gained a lot of credit within that club, you know, and feels confident to go and speak to the chairman, mm. which he actually mentions in the talk. But for me, I completely understood the player's frustration and I think he should want to play because that's what he's paid to do. Right. But how you say things is crucial. Yeah. Your body language, your tone... These are all really important things that we need to consider when we're going into this kind of conversation. And I felt as though the player didn't handle it very well. Um, and I feel like the coach did. Um, obviously, lots is probably edited yeah, out that we didn't yeah. see. But it's just interesting to think about when we're in a team, you know, that team first mentality and everyone being kind of in one direction um, so to speak, um, <laughs> that no one from one direction plays for Tottenham. No, exactly. Um, but yeah, everyone being, you know, having that one sort of focus and aim should mean that although the player is upset at not being played, he should understand why, and he should be asking those kind of questions as to how he can improve 
rather than just basically being upset and angry yeah, and, and it, saying he's going to speak to the chairman. It might seem like like an obvious leap to say that's a question of maturity. Um, but I'm thinking back, and I can't remember if we spoke about it on the podcast, but I'm thinking back to something that you put out not too long ago about how Sean McVay, who's one of the youngest coaches in the NFL, communicated his communicated his set of standards for COVID when they were returning to, uh, to, to training and how there is a way, even with the, the worst news or the, something that you really need people to take on board that, that sometimes you, that delivery is the message that you're setting a tone and, and people are going to receive it, how you offer it and how McVeigh was able to get a serious message of leadership and of culture delivered in a tasty way. Definitely. I was really impressed by that. And that, that went up on my, my LinkedIn account, which I don't I think, t- I think I'll throw a link to that in the show notes. So check that out and I'll put it there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not overly a fan of sort of reposting stuff all the time, but like there are some, some really good accounts that I follow and they, they just are, they're really capturing some really good content. Um, and so I did repost um, that that mark because I just thought in the time of heightened kind of COVID guidelines and panic things like that and, and panic, messaging he, is everything. Messaging is everything and how you deliver it is super important. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously that is a coach. And in this instance, we were talking about how the player mm. approaches uh, conversations that need to be had. And I think there could be a lot more training around sort of emotional intelligence mm within the players. Yeah. Because I don't think they are trained or ha- understand how to go about a conversation that could be tricky and that needs resolving yeah. and that you need to get off your chest. You know, a lot of the time it can just end up in an argument. And, you know, when you're working at a top club in the Premier League, that argument could mean the end of your contract at that club, you know, right. or that you're just going to sit on the bench now forever until your contract runs out. Now you, uh, I agree. And I think what's scary for me always when I think about the NFL is, uh, usually it was about players, but with this time it's about a coach that Sean McVay is probably closer to your age than he is to my age. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like he's, he's done a, well. He's, he's achieved so much, uh, you don't like reposts, you said, or rather you're very selective on your reposts. Quite selective, yes. Well, so. we're being selective with our reposts today. So we are still one episode away from having our guest on. Um, so we uh, dug through the archives again and uh, I picked one of my favourites actually. And when, when we started again after the break, uh, I said that this was one of my favourites and a couple of people... Uh, asked about it this is uh joe keeler and the belbin team roles where sean and i went away and did the assessment and got the feedback from each other and got the feedback from other people that we work with and then joe uh, tore our personalities apart and rebuilt us from the ground up exactly we, we were new men afterwards yeah no <laughs> no joe was fan joe was fantastic um really enjoyed the conversation um, it was fascinating to kind of uh, find out a little bit more about how I work within a team and my my sort of roles yeah. within a team. Some of it made sense and rang true. Other stuff was a bit surprising or interesting. Um, but I think it was just a fun episode. And Joe 
really you know brought that fun to the episode I yeah. think. The, the mixture of it being entertaining for us to record but also like pragmatic and practical and uh i would say genuinely has kind of changed how we view each other yeah well i think yeah and ourselves yeah but i think it solidified some of the things we maybe thought about each other and now we kind of can almost go, all oh, right, that's that part of your team. I think it's changed our communication a, a little bit for the better. Definitely, definitely. So, you know, for those of you who, you know, still may be working from home um, or you're physically back in the office, things are going to pop up. Um, team situations are going to pop up and sort of listening to this episode and thinking about what sort of role you may play within a team could be really important, uh, especially at this time. It could be the difference between kind of being happy and fulfilled at work and feeling like you don't aren't getting to do what you really want to do. And that that is a game changer. So we're going to go straight into that. Uh, this is a repost of uh, the Joe Keeler Belbin episode. Enjoy. Team. So uh, I am extremely excited and I'll be honest, a little bit nervous to introduce onto today's podcast, uh, Joe Keeler. Joe is the managing partner of uh, an organization called Belbin, who look at different team roles that you can hold within within uh, the groups that you're working with. Uh, that came out really chewy. So Joe, perhaps you could introduce yourself and the idea of it a little, a little better than I did. <laughs> I don't know. I think you did quite well. Um, no, absolutely. Um, so what is Belbin? Um, well, I've been with Belbin for 19 years, so I suppose I should be able to answer that question. Um, if I don't, I think I'm going to sack myself. But what Belbin is really, it gives everybody in the workplace a language that everybody understands, be able to talk about your strengths and your weaknesses. In a nutshell, that's what it is really. But it's not a case of, are you brilliant at maths? It's not that kind of strength, although that would always be useful. Um, it's talking about the way that we behave, the way that we interact with other people, the way that we interact and approach our work. So we call this behavior. And what we're there to do is to give a name to these different types of behavior, because we know for teams to be really successful, there are nine different clusters of behavior that are needed. What you're alluding to there, Mark, these nine team roles um, that are needed at some point for the team to work. Sure. And they, uh, they have been developed over quite a long period of time, as I understand it. They are thoroughly scientifically backed as well. <laughs> oh, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly. So it all started back in the 1960s. Um, it was quite interesting, actually. It was Henley Management College, as was. It's now Henley Business School. And they were the first uh, college to introduce syndicate working because they had a lot of managers from all over the country and um, would go over and abroad, actually. And it's like a precursor to an MBA. And they decided that the best way of learning was to learn from one another as opposed to being lectured to. And I know this all just sounds really logical now, but back then, um, lecturing was, was the main form of education. And they realized that they had these really brilliant managers together. And sometimes these syndicates were just fabulous, and sometimes they were absolutely appalling. And they didn't understand why. They thought, we've got some really bright, able people here. Why are some so bad? So they got Dr. Meredith Belbin and his team, um, and I could be a little bit cheeky here because actually his boss was his wife, who was Dr. Eunice Belbin, 
you know what they say behind every great man. Um, and they went down over a period of nine years, every time these syndicates were together. And they analyzed the heck out of them to try and work out why some of these teams worked and why some didn't. And they came up with loads of hypotheses um, and they eventually got to these nine different clusters of behavior, these nine team roles which were needed. I will just say at this point, it's quite useful to know that one of the first experiments they did is they put all the really, really bright and intellectually able people together. Because they said, obviously, if you put all the bright people together, it's going to be really successful. Um, and luckily, it, um, they failed dismally <laughs> because there was just too much of the ego. There was too much of the my idea is better. There was too much battle within to try and prove that you knew more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was quite, I think, just reassuring. Just like me and Sean. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, they're looking at your report, so I could tell you. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get we'll get Later. that and that is Later. why that is why I said I was nervous because in preparation for chatting to Joe Sean and I have taken uh the self assessment and also and this um this was interesting because I wasn't expecting this uh the assessment itself involves all of the questions that as a coach and as a manager, I've experienced this kind of self-assessment questions where you're trying to work it out. But then you get dropped with this and now send it to four people you collaborate with and let them tell you what you're like. And that bit, that bit feels like a bit of a game changer for me. Well, it is. I think that's where you have to be really brave, really. Because, do you know, we fill in these questionnaires and we've all done them. You do them in Cosmopolitan. If, or, yeah. you know, we can do it. How many A's, how many B's? And it's never a shock, is it, the result? Because you're the one who's answered it. Yeah, you know exactly. We, we, like, we know the answers because we're coming up. With no, it. absolutely. You know, if you say you like parties, then suddenly a report comes back and says, do you know, you're quite exactly. a party animal. Yeah. You know, there's no, no way, really. <laughs> yeah. You know, what a surprise. <laughs> That's not particularly useful. Um, it's interesting, <laughs> but less useful. Yeah. And Belbin measure doesn't, Belbin doesn't measure who you are. That's for other psychometric tools, you know, that delve mm. deep into, you know, what makes you you. All we're measuring is what do we do? How does that manifest itself when you're at work? And the best people to check to see if you know what your strengths and weaknesses are at work are those people you work with. So that's where that observed assessment comes in. Definitely. Uh, And so I, yeah, I'll say, I'll say now, Sean uh, was one of the colleagues I sent mine to. Uh, So somewhere in this wealth of information is exactly what you think of me, Sean. No, exactly. And vice versa. I mean, Joe, in terms of sort of growth mindset we talk about growth mindset quite a lot does does kind of putting yourself forward for this type of assessment and then obviously having observers uh do do the assessment as well is is that putting yourself into a growth mindset to begin with because you're exposing yourself to potential uh critique um but in the hope of self-improvement absolutely this is all about that growth mindset it's saying, do you know, I could just be who I am and never ask for feedback from anybody ever. Mm. But how, how useful is that? I mean, there, there's certain presidents of certain countries who have said they never want to have any feedback and that's fine, but they're only ever <laughs> going to therefore be in one particular vein. If we want to, it's not about necessarily self-improvement, but it's just understanding, isn't it? It's understanding and understand mm. the effect we have on others. Um, all of this is really useful stuff. And the more we can find out, the more we can grow. But also the more we can probably enjoy our work. 
and that I think was a was was key for me is there was um and what the feedback from others offered is yes, if I answer these questions and the questions are what do you do? I'm gonna say the stuff that I do and probably doing because I like doing it. Uh and I also having someone else look at it and say, well, actually you do this as well is a really interesting way of going, who put, who put me in that position? Did I make myself do something that is not fun or am I, am I finding myself in these roles because we're lacking someone who loves doing that? And that's interesting in terms of what do I now do with this info? Like what do I what do what does Sean <laughs> what, who does Sean and I need to hire? Uh, yeah, there's no budget, guys. Free, there is zero budget. Volunteer only, please. Uh, in order to make the most and make the best out of this this new knowledge I have about, or this new perspective, I won't even call it knowledge. I'll call it like a, a new lens I have on how people see me operating. Like, what do I? What does an organisation do with that info? They can do so much with it, can't they? I mean, mm. what, it's, it's like you've just said there, can it inform a recruitment decision? Can it say, like, these are the people that we have? You've got you two guys working there. Maybe you wanted a third to join you. Did you want another creative sort of outgoing sort of plant resource investigator? Or perhaps would somebody with a little bit more detail orientation who was a bit more conservative with a small c a little bit more um discerning would that be a useful person to bring in the mix it just helps you inform and that's how a lot of organizations use it because one thing that people do do is they clone yeah um we like working with people who are like us yeah which is great to a point because if you're all in the same sort of mindset the same behaviors you're going to really enjoy it because you get where the other person is coming from etc but you're actually most productive <laughs> with people who aren't like you. Yeah. So it's learning first stop recruiting people in the same image and trying to get that mixture. And actually you may find productivity goes up. You may not enjoy it as much, let's be honest, um, but your productivity would definitely go up. So, yeah. so Joe, does that, we, we touched on that kind of values and behaviors. And I think Mark might kind of go into a little bit more detail, but just, just on that point in terms of clones, does that then mean that we need to have the same behaviors within within kind of a, a team rather than those values that, that we spoke about? Because there you've just said we could all have the same values, but we may not be the most efficient team. Whereas if we have the right behaviors for that team, then we would be an efficient kind of happy team, so to speak. Oh, that's such a big subject, isn't it, when it comes with values? <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, I always think that actually it's both. I think it's difficult. I think you need to have underlying values and you need to have differing behaviours as well. So you could have, exactly what you said, you could have a team who are all... Yeah, all have exactly the same values, but they won't be very effective. You could have people which are completely a lovely mix of all these nine different team or behaviors in a team, but unless they share the same values, they're not going to be effective. So you kind of need, you kind of need both. You can sometimes look at this um, with football because this was years ago now. I haven't had a chance to follow football for many years because I've now got three teenage daughters and it's all just going horribly wrong. <laughs> but I used to support Ipswich for my, for my sins because I'm a Suffolk lass. And I used to be quite, you know, interested in, in football. And 
there was a time when Manchester City suddenly had lots of money, didn't they? Just overnight, they had all this money and they just bought all of these players and they were fabulous players. Yeah. But it took them about two or three seasons to actually do anything. And people were saying, well, why is it, you know, you have got the best people in your squad. Mm. Why aren't you performing? Whereas you had Manchester United at the time who were just flying and they had a youth squad, you know, you had a youth team. And you realise it was because actually they hadn't yet all got those same values of that particular club. So they were still all very individuals playing. They weren't playing together for the same reasons. Definitely. Thank you, Joe, for bringing a football analogy to to it without me having to. So appreciate that. (laughs) This wasn't pre-planned, guys, I promise. Um, No, that is a really, really good way of putting it. Um, and, And that's exactly what happened. So... That, that really helps me in my mind to understand that kind of values and behaviours um, that we've just described. So yeah, great way, great way of putting it, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. There's, there's also, uh, because if you look at these reports and I haven't yet built up the confidence to say uh, I'm going to let everyone see mine, but um, what I will do is I'll link to, uh, I'll link to Bourbon's website about where they describe the roles so that you can see what we're talking about when we're talking about a plant or a, or a, a team worker or a completer finisher. They are fairly self-explanatory, but there's some, there's some interesting details about it that what the report offers is a, is a graph of all of those rather than the kind of Cosmo, mostly A's, you're, you're a, person who needs to finish the job so i have this i have this landscape of the degree to which i fit into these roles uh and sean has a landscape that is not dissimilar and not the same but it's almost and i was looking at them both it's almost as if where my uh graph goes upwards in one direction sean's graph goes upwards in the other direction there is a point where we meet and we overlap a bit and it made me think of like a process or a project being like Tarzan and swinging through the trees. There's that point at which the handoff from one tree to the other happens. And so I kind of need to be my main one, but I also need to know how to hand it off to the person who is the the next part of the process. Because it does, there is something interesting and you can tell me whether this is pertinent but there is something interesting about how the roles fit you almost into a point in a project process that there are roles that are more suited to the beginning or more suited to the end or more suited to the meet in the middle and I found that quite interesting too. Do you know that's really interesting you brought that up because otherwise actually if you just say right these are my team roles and these are my strengths and we can play all of these nine it's not an either or you know we've got little bits of all of them that we can play if you just simply find out what they are and you go, well, I've done it now, you're really not going to be using it well. So not all of those nine team roles are needed at all times. And I'm going to come up with another football analogy in a minute. Yes. But um, what they are needed <laughs> is you've got to work out what the work is that's required and to match the right behaviours with the right type of work. So if you had a project, for example, the beginning is always that creative, let's get some ideas going. So at this point, you want people who we would call plant or resource investigator. And at that point, you don't want somebody saying that won't work. You don't want somebody saying, yeah, but have you thought of the detail? You don't want anybody else like that. You just want that free flow. Collection of Collection, absolutely. Get it all going. 
at this point, you then need somebody who said, right, stop now. What we're going to do is evaluate which is the best idea to go forward. Mm. So there you want the monitor evaluator. Now, once you've decided on the best idea to go forward, you're looking at somebody who's going to do the work because, you know, they're always quite useful. <laughs> you're looking at somebody who's got high implementer, which I think, Sean, I think you're quite a high. Yeah. Um, so you want somebody who's quite high implementer, who can plan and organize the work. You need somebody who's high coordinator, somebody who can organize the people. And then it starts getting towards the end of the project. So then you need the person who's got the detail, the completer finisher yeah. right at the end. But what you want to make sure is that those who are bringing in that plant and resource investigator behavior, they don't come in at the end and go, well, actually, I've got a better idea. Yeah. And we've all been there when that's yeah. happened. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is not the time for you to contribute in that particular <laughs> behavior. Take those hats off. Yeah. And, they would never know, finish. They would, the project would never end because oh. there would always be a next, a next, but maybe we could do this. <laughs> exactly. It would never get handed in. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, I don't know if that's been levelled at you at all, maybe, but perhaps maybe, no, you could quite creative. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I feel a bit guilty looking at the reports. Jo- oh, no. Joe, I was going to say, um, is, is there, you know, as, the audience might be thinking, okay, what kind of companies may use this effectively or have done and you know you look at your big companies like apple and or maybe big car companies toyota etc um i think two parts to my question firstly do you feel as though a lot of companies are using a model like this and it's quite a normal thing for them to think about or is it still quite way off of their thinking i think that's part one and then secondly is there any examples of companies that use these types of team roles really effectively that we would know kind of in the general public yeah i mean it's wonderful that we've been around for so long and because this was quite groundbreaking we had the very good fortune um of belbin the theory being taught on most business schools so most mba courses business modules etc so the language of belbin got out there really really quickly and what then happened is that then went back into organizations so we're really lucky that you could probably name a company and they will be using it to some degree i will say some companies use it better than others so some will just talk about it yeah and look at the theory whereas others use it really well and like we just talked about those different project plans and make sure they've got the right people in at the right time so toyota that you know they 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 use us um big car companies um Alibaba over in China. Um, so we've got distributors wow. all around the okay. world. Um, use us uh, most, I'm trying to think, the UN as part of their staff college in Turin. They use Belbin a lot of the time, a lot of oil and gas um, companies. Um, so, yeah, we are used in the, a lot of companies, big and small. So it's wherever people are interacting with others, it becomes particularly useful. Um, but I will say some use it better better than others i can imagine and some people are using it without without strictly knowing that they're using belbin because from like my introduction to it and it's not uh i've not come from a business environment at all so the the language of even the language of hr is not really in my vocabulary uh you're a lucky man (laughs) um (laughs) But even then, I had a a sense and an understanding of uh, roles within teams that I think is grounded in this foundational work, that it feels like it was, uh, as far as I can tell, the the dictionary, ultimately, upon which a lot of uh, 
team-based psychology uh, or practice is is built, which is which is, I guess it means a lot of people are using it without you know paying for them because there are the you know there is a book out there that talks about the psychology behind this. There is, you know, you you make it super clear on the website what the roles are, and people I can imagine can go through a self-evaluative process without doing an assessment where they walk away with a cursory like you were saying the if you're doing it for yourself oh yeah I'm definitely one of these or maybe I've got a little bit of that because the information is out there is part of what you do supporting organizations to to implement it well absolutely I suppose that's 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 part of my role here Mm -hmm. here at at Belbin is to it's got to be useful, hasn't it? I think yeah. the, the one reason that Melbourne's still around and it's still used um, so much is because it is common sense, isn't it? I mean, it's not rocket science. Let's all just say that. It's not. It all it resonates. You don't have to think, oh, my goodness, I don't get this. It's quite self-explanatory. Mm. But it's what you're talking about right at the very beginning, Sean, is the fact that actually you want that growth mindset. Mm. We don't just want to say who I think, you know, how I think I behave right now, and then that's it. Yeah. forever yeah. it is trying to convince people to say look this is and i hate the phrase this is a journey um yeah but it kind of <laughs> is i hate that phrase can we edit that really no um <laughs> i can't believe i just said it on my x factor um but it, it is that kind of thing isn't it it is um why are people doing it and if you're going to be really effective in a team you need to get that feedback from others um you need to understand as well how we change depending on who we're speaking yeah. to yeah so one of the questions would be when you get your report, who are the people you ask to feedback? What's your relationship with them? That, that did occur to me because yeah. I, I looked at the results that I got and I work with Sean in a very different context, in a couple of different contexts and in a very different context than I work with the two other ladies I asked for feedback mm-hmm. where their their answers seemed to tie up a little bit more than with each other's than they did with Sean's but at the same time they were all pretty safe like they were all they were all me going I'm not going to get character assassinated by any of these and actually if I was to send this to my line manager at my day job which I I sent the report to them ultimately but if I was going to send the feedback that's that feels like an existential crisis or a, a crisis of safety in terms of job security or whatever, I think that in order for, to, for organizations to implement it, there has to be a, an, a readiness for change, I guess. And for me as someone who, you know, gets paid to do a job and hopes that they're doing it well, to be this open, I think Sean was meant, like mentioned earlier, to be this kind of open, feels a little bit risky sometimes do people experience it as that it's really interesting so that here's some hr speak for you it's very much dependent on what we call the psychological safety within a team the trust within a team why are you doing it are you going to be is there going to be a negative consequence to this happening and in fact it was google they had a um a study um which they call it they called it the aristotle study because they wanted to understand why some of their teams worked brilliantly and why, again, some of them didn't. So very similar. And they came up with some quite similar observations. But the key thing they said was whether or not people trusted one another. 
And if you haven't got that trust within a team, within an organization, it is going to be less effective. So we find that some companies have a high level of trust in psychological safety. And so they'll send their observer assessments, the things that we call, you know, which um, that this feedback, you know, left, right and centre, because they're really intrigued and they know that there isn't any fear because they know there isn't a wrong answer. Everybody's all up for this growth factor. Whereas others have said, right, we're not doing that bit. We're just going to do how we see ourselves. And you probe a bit further and you think, oh, there's some real issues going on here. That makes a lot of sense. I think, I think I'm probably, and again, maybe sometimes me and Mark would like to think we work well together on this podcast. I mean, it's episode 13, I think. So, you know, we've not, We've not uh, killed each other just this yet. This is the unluckiest um, number, though. So this could be the final. This, this could be, could the be final it, couldn't it? This could, this could be it. We could be opening up some wounds. Um, but but the point is to me is that I saw it very differently to Mark in the sense of um, in this in the sense that I sent it to people who I feel as though do know me and have worked with me to a level where they could even see some of my roles. Because sometimes if we're talking about line managers or people of, you know, in senior management that yes, they, they kind of are in charge of you to an extent, but do they actually see you kind of in the coal face? Do they see you on a day to day? Have they worked on a project with you? Yeah. What's their stake? So I was quite comfortable as to who I sent it to, even though, yes, I do get on with those people. It was more a case of, I felt as though they would have seen me in different lights in different situations. And so therefore would give me a good gauge on what my assessment would come back as. Whereas I could have sent it to other people that I work with or even I manage, but I'm not sure if there would have been as much interaction with those people. And maybe that's something that I need to look at, but I I didn't feel as worried about what would come back because I thought they would they would have a good gauge on me, if that Sean makes sense. Sean just said something there and I want to I wanna get your response on it, Joe. Um, he, he brought up uh, getting feedback downwards if you know in in the hierarchy from people that you manage is is that encouraged because i like for some reason i literally only considered sending it to peers or above which i don't i don't know what that means <laughs> don't worry i'm, I'm not you look ever so worried mark don't don't it's not it's not like that at all i can put ominous music underneath do you know it, it depends what you want to get out of it yeah So I'm going to put it straight back at you. So if you wanted to know how you are managing others, you would choose more people who, yeah, you're the manager of. If you wanted to find out more Mm. about how those that manage you see you, how are you coming across to them? What do they value? You'd ask them. If you were just doing something because you needed to really understand the contribution the rest of your team want you to make, you'd ask them. Now you could do one from each. Um, What tends to happen is people, though, do see differences. I'll give you an example as um, one of the partners here, Nigel Belbin, who is um, Meredith Belbin's son. And well, for many years before I was a partner, he's my, you know, he's my boss. And I got him to, to fill this in and he saw me as caring and understanding. I listened. He had me high coordinator, high team worker. And my shaper, which is that very direct, come on, let's get it done, was really low. Didn't see it at all. But I manage the office and the team here, and they don't see any of my teamwork or niceness. Yeah. They just see me <laughs> they shouting. Only see okay, the they just yeah. see the shaper, yeah. and that was really interesting. I thought, why is there that difference? Mm. And at the time, I thought it's because Nigel pays my wages. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I also yeah. want to ingratiate myself with the person who's in charge. Yeah. I want to Where make sure that I am. Where are they looking from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is the key thing. So um, it's really important that you understand why you're doing it. And I think choosing your observers is really interesting because if you ask somebody to feed back on you who you don't necessarily trust, the yeah. second they say something you don't agree with, you'll just discard it. Yeah. I always say it's, it's yeah. like when you're going shopping for clothes. Who do you really want to give feedback when you've just put a new suit on or a new item of clothing on and you've come out of the changing room? Do you want the shop assistant? No, because they're just going to say, yes, you look fabulous, madam. You know, you, do you want your mum? Oh, she might be a bit too critical, actually, because she always is. Maybe <laughs> this is just my reflection of my, my relationships. Um, or do you want your good mates who are going to see you in that item of clothing a lot? You know, that's who you want, isn't it? And it's the same as when you're looking at it from a work. Where does a partner sit in there, Joe? It doesn't. Never. <laughs> never. <laughs> My embarrassing, uh, my embarrassing instant reaction to that was: I want the uh, the shop assistant who I fancy a little bit to come and tell me that I look nice. That's that's it. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Uh, Before we get on to the the crunch time uh, of having a look at our own assessments, um, Sean and I both work in a sick form college, and that the college values massively uh, what we describe as a, a coaching culture, the idea of uh, reflective practice amongst students in how they manage their own learning and how they manage their development through college. And this strikes me as something that may have a an application within education Um I was wondering how accessible you think it would be to, well, we work with with post-16 mostly, but to students of different ages in how they start to understand what they like doing and that values conversation and how how they're working with each other and for us that empathy conversation as well. Do you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting you said that because for many years people said, if only you had a version that my kids could use. Mm. Yeah. So we actually developed one because when you fill in the questionnaire um, that you did, it's very work-based. Yeah. And to ask somebody without work experience to fill it in, it would, you're not going to get the best. So we've actually adapted it for people from the age of about 15 yeah. upwards and what we've done is instead of it being a report that just tells you stuff and allows you to go ahead and sort of away and digest it, we made it into more of a workbook. Yeah. So it's more about the language of, do you know, we don't want to box you in. You can be all of these nine different, different roles, but yeah. all of these behaviors are going to be really important in the workplace. Where do you feel that you fit now? What do your friends say? Not your mum. Where do your friends say? Because they all say, oh, you're just lovely, darling. Um, find out that and just have it as self-reflection. And we've yeah. got areas where people can start to write their UCAS forms yeah. or how they'd come across an interview. And it starts giving younger people a feeling that actually I'm more than just my exam results. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. What else can I bring? What else am I bringing to the party? Well, actually... I did this Belbin thing and it says, and my friends agree with me, that I'm really good at organising work. Yeah. If you give me what I'm really yeah. hardworking, I'm dedicated, and I've got that practical mindset mm. that means that it's not all just going to stay as a conversation. I'm really good at getting down to the procedure and getting it done. 
Now that's a lovely way of uh, saying something when you're in front of others. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that I would probably see like a, a really critical point of doing something like, like the sort of Belbin test um, uh, assessment, sorry, is around that kind of year 11 choices. Mm. So, you know, am I going to go and take BTEC or am I going to go and do A-level? Because there is quite a big difference in, in, in who you are. I think if you take a BTEC or if you take an A-level, yes. yeah. Yes. How, how they're delivered, how they're assessed. I was never an exams person. I hated exams, but I would... I would put a lot of work into coursework and I would get that done and I would ask for feedback and I'd change it and I'd improve it because I had to, because it wasn't good to begin with. And we'd get to a stage where it was, uh, you know, eligible. Uh, but <laughs> but so, some people want to have those different highlighter pens and spend lots and lots of time highlighting things, getting it into their brains and then smashing yeah. an exam at that critical point. So I don't think students are maybe looking at who they are enough or have the tools mm. to look at themselves as who they are enough to decide at that critical stage what kind of qualification they want and to have take. The tools to validate their mm. how how they think or how they learn or how they work exactly in yeah a, in a formal and positive way because like even even with the even with the adult version of the assessment I was I was waiting for you to tell me my weaknesses and yeah. <laughs> there's a you know and and that's the flip side of be, being told that oh you're you're you think in this way we're waiting for the and you're rubbish in this and the framing of the uh as as the assessment calls them allowable weaknesses mm, like they are allowed they it's it's a case of like why there's not really any reason why you need to be good at these things while you're being good at the other thing yeah and share it sharing roles becomes really crucial no it does i think there's a there's a lot there it's um each of these behaviors if you're going to be brilliant at something something's going to have to give mm. and that's why we call them allowable weaknesses if you are the most creative imaginative eccentric brilliant problem solver that there is if you're a really high plant do you know you're not always going to be able yeah. to communicate brilliantly because it's all up here it's all in your head yeah and that's allowed mm. and i think sometimes with education is that we expect everybody to be brilliant at everything and they expect it as well and a they lot of the expect young people it we meet they do that no they do and it's hard and it does give them a language to say this is where i'm brilliant but i don't have to be brilliant here yeah rather um, than and yeah. i don't understand why i'm not brilliant elsewhere yes <laughs> yeah I mean, it's the thing is that I remember, you know, I, I started in the pharmaceutical industry before I came here. I, I always used to joke and say I used to sell drugs, but I did legally <laughs> and it was fine. And I did that for six years. When you work in the pharmaceutical industry um, at the time, that was many, many years ago now, um, you were sent on loads of different training courses because they wanted to train and develop you. And you went on, I think, one every two months. Yeah. And they always put you on the training courses where um, it'd been highlighted that you were pretty rubbish at something. So you'd go and spend all this time away from home. I mean, it was great because I was young at the time and it was a free bar, but you'd go <laughs> on these training courses. You'd be slightly less crap than you were to start with, but you were never going to be yeah. brilliant because they're trying to make you um, develop weaknesses into strengths. Well, there is an element you can do a bit about that, but surely the time best spent would be trying to strengthen your strengths yeah. and be even better at what you're already yeah. good at and find someone else who you get on absolutely. with absolutely who can who can do the detail join your gang yeah 
Definitely. I mean, I mean, Joe, if we take a practical, like a, a practical look at this in terms of the podcast, you know, I don't have a clue on editing any of what we're talking about right now and putting it out there to the world. So without Mark, we would, we wouldn't have a podcast, but in the same token, without my charm and wit and charisma, <laughs> we'd be, we'd have half of that on the podcast. So, well, you I know, fra- that's I why that a little more positively, actually, Sean, um, <laughs> So we've chat we've chatted in our office for the last two years around this topic of teamwork, and yeah, maybe once every half term we'll go. It should be a podcast, and if yeah. it was left to me, we'd still be having those conversations in our office. Yes, but it would. was Sean going. Well, all right then, let's do it. What do we need? Mm-hmm. And putting me on the spot and saying, you know, what skills, what tools you know, come up with a good idea that, that put it in place. So yeah, I'd edit whatever, but it wouldn't exist at all if someone hadn't solidified the wafty idea in mm. some fashion. And that seems like a reasonable moment to look at the the highly colourful bits of paper in front of me that I'm... Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, before it becomes a love in joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come let's on, let's, let's, turn it to hate. let's get it going. Let's make it interesting. So what, 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 what are we... How do I read this? Help me, Joe. Help me. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Mark, I'm going to start with you. Okay. So um, you see yourself and other people also see you as this creative plant. Mm. That you know, the one who, when they're doing the research at Henley, they had to plant a creative person into each of the teams, otherwise it wouldn't function. That's why it's called plant. It's got nothing to do with greenery or anything. So you're the ideas, but your ideas are original. You're good at problem solving. Um, You also have strengths in the other creative role, which is a resource investigator. Mm. And again, they have wonderful ideas, but they steal them. They're more the Del Boy of the ideas. They'll go, oh, look what somebody's doing over there. Let me bring that in. And do you know, I know somebody who else I can... So you're always out, you know people networking, etc. So you're quite a social thinker We're, okay uh, this is this I've, i'm feeling seen <laughs> <laughs> i love this um whereas and i'm just going to what, what you're not can mm. i talk about what you're definitely Please. not is that okay yeah you don't have um what we call the implementer role which is yeah. that of being particularly organized structured practical yeah. um you also don't seem to have any of the complete finisher role again which is that attention to detail and getting everything absolutely mm. spot on correct so you need to work with somebody who potentially has those strengths. Um, now, Sean has a few of those. Oh. So Sean also has, um, well, his, this is interesting. Sean, the people you ask to observe, you think that you're also quite a high resource investigator. They, they see that you actually do know a lot of people and you're good at turning over stones to see what opportunities are there. Joe, you've described it as Del Boy, so let's just move on from that one. Because it, <laughs> I don't know. I should use a different example, shouldn't I? Oh no, um, it was perfect. Oh, no, no, was no that that was the one. That was okay. That was the one. You don't necessarily see as much of that in yourself, but other people see that. But what you have got um, is a great deal of drive. Um, you like to get to be as quickly as possible. You can be quite challenging to make that happen. You're like the energy, so you've got that high shaper as well that's coming through. So with that, and again, you have the implementer role, you're quite organized. You're like, okay, Mark, you know, it's all very interesting, but what are we actually going to do with this? 
Um, yep. So from that point of view, you've got great amount of, you do complement um, each other well, and you also have more of a degree of detail, Sean. So you're not going to, there's not going to be, if you're in charge, I don't know how the in charge bit goes, but you're, there's not going to be any typos. There's not going to be any mistakes in the editing. It's going to be pretty high professional standards when you're involved. That's so interesting. So the way that we currently, like, no, there's not a boss, but what I end up doing is sending Sean what I've edited and then he gives me a list of places where I've missed that something got perfect cut out or you know two people i think i think that's a i think that's more of the my kind of pessimistic negative outlook on things because i'm looking for mistakes so i my ear yeah. tends to find but that's them. what the computer yeah, finish I'm does not. i'm not looking yeah. for them exactly <laughs> i don't proofread i tell you what's really interesting is a lot of people say yeah but everybody does that that's just me looking for negatives that's just, no not everybody <laughs> does look like that at all um, the fact yeah. that you have got uh, your ear attuned to making mistakes is absolutely fabulous. That's not you being negative. It's you being a strong, complete finisher. Mm-hmm. And perhaps just knowing that Mark makes a lot of mistakes in the first place. <laughs> so I'm Rodney. But, 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 yeah, but his mistake has come from a really, really cool creative idea that I've just had to yeah. go, hang on a second. <laughs> just remember these cool creative ideas don't get anywhere yeah. unless there's somebody prepared to I've had, apply I've them. I've had better ideas than this, Sean, that don't exist right now. Yeah, true. Uh, I find yeah. the... Um, I've just, and this is a reflection on how I have been working. I had a conversation with my manager about how I, I tend to find myself having to operate in, in kind of crisis crunch time in order to get things done. And like that, like the the picture couldn't be painted any clearer that if I if I ha- don't have the organisation, I have to have that organisation forced upon me in order for it to be me that does that. Yeah. Uh, Not going to come about it yourself. No, crunch time yeah. has to happen. Yeah. Um, and actually, I should get into a point of ha- handing something off or being in an environment where I can hand that off to the person who does that well. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are there do people do grand restructurings after this? Have you have you experienced that? Yeah, a few companies have um, said, right, hang on, let's just put everybody back into the melting pot yeah. and let's start again. Um, we've had people really look at the way in which they have projects. Um, so there's this one company I worked with personally, actually, I thought they were fabulous. They're an advertising company. Um, they were really, really creative and just so cool. I just go into their offices and go, I want to work for you. And, <laughs> you know, some places give you that vibe, don't they? But they restructured the way they ran projects because they'd have one person who was always part of everything. And they realized that if they released that person to work on different projects simultaneously, depending on their creative input. Um, so what they basically did was said to the plant yeah. behaviors, just go away create then go to the next project create so they had these simultaneous projects working as opposed to being you know kind one after job the other description and being in charge of the yeah. entire process yeah of your, that's really interesting they changed it but just go back your reports because i yeah. thought that you skip, you've over you know you <laughs> felt run like away a little from bit it. of don't want to talk about that anymore <laughs> i would just say um that looking a little bit in more depth is what is wonderful about both of your reports is that when you ask people to feedback, they have to tick some words and mm. um, they tick words. Obviously you did it on each other. Yeah. So you know what it looks like. And the list A words are the real positives and the list B words are those that go to the allowable weaknesses. Now, sometimes people become a certain team because everybody's just ticked all of the weaknesses. 
which obviously <laughs> isn't very good. You need to have the corresponding strengths. Yeah. And both of you, all of your observers have actually given you a lot of strengths and only a little bit of the weaknesses for each team role, which shows that you are a good example. You're playing that particular behavior well, um, which is just fantastic. But you'd expect to see some weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, is that if you find that you've had feedback from other people and they've all just said nice things, well, one, you probably paid them, but two, you know. Oh, yeah. Why did they do that? Were they scared of recrimination? Were they scared to be able to do that? And what sort of culture, going back to the values yeah. and everything, is is that looking at? So the fact that you have all, you know, both of you have got associated weaknesses that have been raised and ticked. Um, I think that's that's very healthy. You've got very, I'd say, healthy reports and the words that people use encouraging of others helpful reliable these are all good stuff <laughs> and now sean yours yeah <laughs> no, you have the same you have the same um but yours are a bit more competitive you're a bit more competitive and inquisitive that's so strange joe <laughs> how could that be um the, the, the sport the sports teacher <laughs> obsessed with competition is competitive um and actually, Sean and I play out quite a competitive role against each other as, yes. as colleagues. Um, I, I, yeah, I felt utterly implicated by the. Um, so there were there are four people feeding back, and four out of four people said that I was uh, reluctant to allocate work, and. Uh, <laughs> but don't worry about that too much because it could have they could have both all given a double tick. That could have been eight. Hmm. So don't worry too much. If it was eight, then you need to start. Well, what, I, what I found most interesting about it was I, I hadn't personally framed it as reluctance. Okay. As a deliberate act on my part. And just by putting it in that wording made me go like, yeah, no, I don't give away work at all. Uh, but I have to not give it away. Like that's imp like... I, yeah, and this is like well, actually, that's behaviour that uh, that is potentially limiting of others, but it's potentially deliberate on my part that that I'm framing as entirely out of my control. That maybe I need to look at and mm. go by not giving work to other people, I am challenging them to do their jobs or limiting them to fulfil their requirements or their strengths. No, absolutely. I think that's a really interesting one. And what we've got there, reluctant to allocate work is a allowable weakness of a completer finisher, because the completer finisher is that detail doesn't like anybody else because nobody's going to do as good a job as them. So they don't, but you don't have the corresponding strengths there. So this is something that's got nothing to do with team roles. And it is just the way that you like to work. And I'll, I'll give you an example because I feel that I need to share back. I feel that you know, I, I need to feel your pain a little. <laughs> is um, One of my most frequently um, ticked words is that I'm very manipulative. You know, if you're looking at those list yeah. B words. Yeah. And that is the um, allowable weakness of a coordinator. And people say, oh, that's not very good. I say, well, actually, I'm going to reframe that because I don't manipulate for personal gain. Yeah. And so you have to start thinking about it. Well, I do manipulate things because things do need to happen in a certain way sometimes. But as long as I'm not doing it just to make myself look brilliant, that's absolutely fine. You yeah. know, so you have to think, why are they yeah. saying it? You need to think I, about I, it. I, yeah. I was going to say that, Joe. I think, you know, if we if you just go back to sports or, or any, just leadership in general, I guess, if people talk about great leaders, they always seem to say, 
they managed to get people to do something that they either didn't know they could do or that needed to be done, so to speak. So those great leaders that we can all kind of, you know, reel off, um, you know, whether it be a football manager or a politician or well, whatever, whatever Car- it may Cara, be. Who was a guest on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about how you get them to come up with the idea, believing it's their own idea when it's what you wanted them to do all along. Exactly. That's very manipulative in a sense, but it's that positive manipulation almost. I don't know, maybe I'm spinning it too much now. (laughs) No, I don't think you are. I think, but then again, a colleague of mine did say it depends whether or not you're being the... being manipulated or whether or not you are the manipulator it just mm. depend um, on true. that and how yeah, you spin it true. but I think this has all got a lot to do um I didn't go back to football which I should have done because I wrote some quick points down is that with football I think the key thing you have is you have a really strong common objective don't you you know why the team is put together I mean, it's, it's, it's yes. a no-brainer. Very often in organizations people don't really know what it is that they're there to achieve so I think sometimes teamwork yes. in sport is a lot is it easier it's a lot more definitive you know where you stand right we want to win this game that's the objective yeah definitely definitely the goal is a literal yeah, goal exactly <laughs> and we have these 11 spaces here and we want to put the best person in each of these particular roles to be able for the, the team to, to win to, to succeed um like i said i'm going back now because i haven't followed football for a while but why you would not put david beckham into a goalkeeping slot. Why would you do that? You wouldn't. He's too good looking. You don't want it oh, to hit his face. Him, isn't he? I follow him on Instagram. <laughs> anyway, um, on to other things. Um, but you wouldn't want to. But sometimes what you do find is some managers, when it's a friendly, they will play people out of position. And it's for them to see how, how does that work for them, actually, because you also don't want to typecast. There could be two or three yep. positions people could play in quite easily, but you need to find that, you need to develop that. And that's why friendlies are usually quite good because the risk is lowered. Whether or not you Definitely. win it sometimes isn't the objective. It's to play around a bit. It's to get a feel for other things that you could have And to see the in. impact that that has on the, the, the yes. strengths and weaknesses of the rest of the team. Yeah, does it change the dynamics, yeah. you know? Is it a start? From, no, yeah. If, from a, from if, if you look at it from an academy point of view, so you know, the, these factories that are there to kind of produce these these amazing players of the future, a lot of the time they will play them in different positions throughout that kind of you know football journey until yes. they reach that sixteen to eighteen slot when they get signed. You know, there's there's a lot. If we take um, someone like Trent Alexander Arnold, who's a very a very big player at the moment, young player, plays for Liverpool. He started off kind of in centre midfield but now is one of the best right backs in the world. So, you know, that someone saw a different angle for him. Um, you know, so definitely that makes a lot of sense. Joe, I was going to say, so if we take the assessments, can they be used to identify what types of industries maybe we, we may be best suited to first and foremost? And then secondly, do you see interviewees, um, sorry, interv- interviewers, um, employers, are they looking at these kind of things in these nine team roles in someone? And, and I, are they asking questions to identify those team roles in interviews? Do you know? Because I've said this a couple of times, but I think recruitment is so important because if you're going into an environment where people need to have an objective or values or you want them to or behaviors, it's very hard to do it once they're in the building. And sometimes it's better if you have that person who you know is going to suit the environment you know, before you've kind of signed the dotted line, so to speak. Yeah, no, that's that's really crucial, actually. We um we have to, 
as I said, we have distributors all around the world. So we have databases of just a shed load of data. And we sent all that data to our statisticians. And we said, is there any difference between the Timor distributions between countries? Because everybody asks. Everybody says, well, surely it's slightly different if you're in Germany or if you're in yeah. China or if you're in the States. And they sent back, they said, well, there's a, you know, a little bit of difference. But actually, we're finding there's more variance within a country than between countries. Okay. So what does that mean? You say what sort of industries would be best is that actually the Timor distribution within an oil company can really widely differ from, say, within the NHS. So okay. if you have a particular team role, um, what did you say earlier, which I actually wrote down because I thought it was lovely, landscape. See, I'm a resource investigator. I've just stolen that from you, Mark. I've wrote it down. Um, so if you have that particular landscape, then your behaviours are going to say, actually, you're far more suited towards this kind of industry yeah. than the other. So within the NHS, we see really high teamwork of people who care and have empathy and also very high implementer, people who like procedure and process. If you put them in each other's environment, they're not going to necessarily fit so well. And it's going to be awkward. So you can get a feel for the company that you're looking to perhaps work in and go, what kind of culture do I think that is? What kind of, and would I fit? Now, the really brave companies are the ones that say, no, you're going to fit terribly, but we want you because you don't fit. But that doesn't tend to happen very frequently. Because there's a gap that we recognise we're hiring to fill from a cultural point of view rather than from a labour point of view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what we find a lot of times is when people are interviewing and they get a feel for those team roles that they want. Now, you may have completed a questionnaire before you go in and they'll have it in front of you, but it will only be based on how you see yourself because nobody's going to ask for feedback if they're going for a job interview. Oh, why do you want this then? Well, no reason. You know, um, it's difficult to get that. So what people tend to do is say, right, okay, you see yourself as being a really high monitor evaluator somebody who is able to take the emotion out of the decision making process weigh up the pros and cons and come up with the right answer they go yes 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 that's what i am yes yes. can you give me an example of when that happened can you back that up so what it tends to do is it allows the interviewer to really hone in on what are those behaviors and to try and validate them through that sort of questioning and and that discussion yeah because we are going to yeah we're putting our we're putting our best foot forward and we're phoning our mate to say, I've asked if you could give me a reference. Yeah, uh, but quietly. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And backing it up again, going back to that idea that these are not, these are not based on anything other than what you did. Like the way you would tell me you were a monitor evaluator is not by understanding the words on the page, but by listing the things that you did. And so, yeah, Absolutely. Support, support your state, show you're working. And also, you know, if they actually did say that and the person, yeah, right. Okay. So this is what I did. I did this. And you go, well, you've already negated the fact that you're a strong monitor evaluator because you haven't thought about your response at all. Um, whereas you said the monitor evaluator just think, oh, can I have a few moments to think about that please? Certainly. You know, so you'd expect certain behaviors to come across like that in, in an interview. That's true. Um, Joe, do you think there's more that can be done though from the recruitment side of things in terms of the questions that are being asked because I mentioned before um, I think I I read uh, uh, The Ideal Team Player I forgot the author now but there's a book called The Ideal Team Player and it talks a lot about how 
the the person it's it's a made up story but the person in the book you know doesn't sit behind a desk and do an interview they take them out into the real world and have a conversation with that person and see them in their daily lives and they were looking for smart uh hungry humble people to come into their into their environment so you know the way they went about that recruitment was different to let me see your cv and let me ask you some basic 10 questions that we ask everyone if that mm. makes sense what we do here, actually, which I think is brilliant, obviously I'd say that, is um, you're being recruited <laughs> to work with other people. You're being recruited to work within a team. So why not ask the team to be part of the interview process? So we have a really nice. horrible yeah. um, process here is that you're not just interviewed by one person. You have the whole blinking team in. Um, one, one by panel. one. No, one by one. Uh-huh. And everybody has a conversation. Okay everybody talks everybody chats and it's amazing that you then all sit down together and sort of have a debrief as everybody will bring something different and ultimately and ultimately the implementer picks who you hire no ultimately i do um no yeah (laughs) Yeah. but that's what happens isn't it normally it's like oh this is very interesting but it's my call um isn't that always what happens but no we do we we have to listen because if you've asked people and we ought to do more of that, I would say, in an interview process and say, well, hang on, they're fitting within a team. What is the hole they need to fill within the team? And what does the rest of the team say? Obviously, we have to. We're I a agree. team company, for crying out loud. If we didn't do that, then um, it's it's quite a sad Eat world, your own it? dog food, as, no, absolutely. as Silicon absolutely. Valley would say. Um, <laughs> we, could, we could absolutely talk about this for days. Um, and in lockdown, sometimes it feels like we've got that available. But we have spoken for absolutely ages. And I... Uh, and I'm so grateful for you coming on, Joe. This has been both personally enlightening, but also um, I hope people are able to see how it might be a, a way that they can apply some of this thinking to their own um, to their own practice. We have a couple of questions that we ask everyone at the end of the podcast. If you wouldn't mind uh, answering. Uh, or having having a think about the first that that we ask uh, is Sean and I always say coaches make coaches that we teach in the way that we learned and the, the there are people whose inspirational coaching or inspirational teaching makes us the team leaders and the team runners that we are is there a person or a practice in your development of of coming to where you are now that that has informed your team building or team running? Oh, there's so many, isn't there? I suppose the nature of what I do as well is that I read so much and try and learn so much because none of us have the answers, do we? Mm. We're, we're on this constant um, treadmill of learning, but hopefully getting somewhere. That was a really bad analogy. Um, <laughs> I quite like that. <laughs> we're all writing things down. Um, I can't remember who the person was, but it was all about authenticity. So... Uh, my sort of learning how I have been coached. I had somebody who coached and I felt that really hard because I felt that I was having to be something that I wasn't. Yeah. And actually I had a conversation, I think it was with um, Meredith Belbin, who's 94, by the way, Mm -hmm. and he's still incredible. And it was like, why are you trying to be something that you think you should be? We want you to be you. You just need to have the confidence to be you to be able to do what you're doing. And I think with teams as well, sometimes teams are, oh, we're a bit scared. We don't. No, no, no. You're put together for a reason. It's having that self-confidence and being authentic. Yeah. 
um, which I think is really important. So I don't know if that really answers your question. But oh, no, absolutely. That's sort of what's and is, and struck. Is, yeah, it's something that has come up before, the sense of like we're, we're in the position that we're in to be ourselves and to let that be the contribution we make. Um, the second question we ask, which is much more commercial, is... Uh, we say is there anything you would like to plug but like if I'm an organization and I want to like I've listened to this and I want to get on board with it uh, and radically transform my company (laughs) Um, let's start at the top yeah let's just go for it absolutely yeah yeah go for it we're we're blowing it up and starting from scratch Um, like how how would how would I go about that just contact us um, just contact us at team at belbin.com joe at belbin.com if you're on linkedin it's joe keeler or it's belbin team roles um we're a really friendly team actually and we'd love as you can tell we love mm. chatting and talking and finding out what people are, are up to um so yeah it, it's a really informal get in touch if anybody would like to try the belbin the reports that you've both got as well yeah. what, what's the, what's the official name of your podcast uh, there's no i in podcast that's really long, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we shortened um, it to No I Podcast. Okay. No I Podcast, yeah. all lowercase. Yeah. No spaces. Yeah. yeah. And I'll put a 25% discount code um, working for you if anybody wanted to do a test just for themselves. Amazing. So, Amazing. Amazing. Can you just check I'll up stick, that I've um, done that though? Can you just check up because I might forget. Lovely. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> so I will, uh, we'll stick, we'll stick links to, to that and the, uh, the discount code, no I podcast uh, in the show notes. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. Uh, this has been phenomenal. Another, another hugely exciting conversation about teams from teams experts. Thank you so much, Joe. Your your shaper energy has been uh, fantastic <laughs> on this Wednesday afternoon. So thanks no, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And actually, I should have mentioned at the beginning, my team roles are also very high, resource investigator, shaper, coordinator. This was never going to be a quiet affair. It was never going to be short. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is, well, I'm afraid, what it turned out to be. But thank you so much. It's been, it's been a, yeah, a great way of spending an afternoon in the office. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you. And there you go. Not going to dwell on it too much. Uh, I am going to say I've like I found it super enlightening, super uh, kind of energizing to to take that stuff back in. How about you, Sean? Yeah, it was really awesome. Um, as I said, Joe's great. Um, it was fantastic to have the kind of practical sort of data in front of me um, mm. and to have the assessment done by other people that I work with was really powerful. Um, I implore you to check out um belbin team roles uh, check out their website see if you want to get an assessment yourself and hopefully we've still got a discount code i'll throw it in there try it out and if not i'll get i'll, I'll, I'll see if we can get to get them to re-up it uh that's all for this week we will have an original guest next week i hope you enjoyed that one it was like we said it was a fun one uh, to do so i hope it was a fun one to listen to uh, if you want to get in touch with us give us your feedback you can leave a review on itunes or any of the places that you listen we'd love another five star we love the comments as well it helps us understand what we're doing right uh, you can uh, hit us up on instagram or uh, on twitter at no i podcast um, we are uh, trying out 
being a little more a little more engaged on LinkedIn as well. So if you can find Sean or I on LinkedIn, uh, we love talking about the podcast on there and we're posting some of our episodes there too. And you can always email us, Mark or Sean, at noipodcast.show. Uh, really excited for next week's and for getting into a chat with uh, someone who's not Sean. Sorry, Sean. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so for now, all I'll say is it is good. goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the Wolfpack. Teamwork. Yes. <laughs>